So we're engineers, we like equipment. There are a few pieces that we design and have contract manufactured that are captive to us, but really um, we're, we're always after the best solution. So we pick uh, an air system from one manufacturer, we pick a decorticator from another manufacturer, we do conveying from somebody else, we just pick the best pieces. And so as we go out, we've been invited in to help a lot of people with uh, with their, their material handling and their separation processes. Um, it doesn't matter to us whose equipment you're using. Hey guys, it's Mandy with Global Hemp Association. I wanted to say thank you so much for joining. I'm excited about the opportunity to build a relationship and connect this supply chain. I mean, after all, that's why we started the association. Our association was built on the foundation of connecting supply chain, building relationships, and helping you grow your business. Anyone from farmers, manufacturers, and distributors, people that are passionate about the supply chain, and those creating products selling into biofuels, plastics, textiles, construction, and building materials. Hello, hello, we're live. Hi, Shane. How are you? Great, great. Thanks for having us on. We're excited to be able to participate. Yeah, I'm excited to have you guys. Okay, before we get started, I want to give everybody that is part of GHA and part of our association a huge shout out and a thank you. We did a little spiel in our newsletter. It's been exciting to see how many new members we've had come on, and I just want to say thank you for all of your continued support. For those of you that are not members, I encourage you to get involved, to go to our website, globalhealthassociation.org. We are in the middle of restructuring our website, which is cool. We're going to give a lot of login information for extra data, um, our, our seed trial data, all of our interviews, um, and also a member connect tool that's a little bit more robust. So that'll be really awesome. But before I ramble on anymore, I want to pass this over because I'm really excited about what you guys are doing and what you guys bring to this industry. And more importantly, I'm excited to talk about the scale that we just kind of started talking about behind scenes. And so before we get started, Shane, you want to give a little intro about who you are and what you do and how you got into this industry? And then we'll pass it off to Bill. Well, we've been on the we've been on the uh, wild hemp roller coaster for several years now. Um, hemp processing partners started off um, processing primarily seed. We then moved on to separating sticks and stems and seed from the flowers. So you could get a good extraction uh, ready flower. We then moved on to decortication, and we've just we've just been following along um, as the industry's developed and and new products have have come on as, as far as offtakes that people need and things like that. We're primarily an engineering company. So I'm a, I'm a licensed engineer here in Colorado. We have another licensed uh, PE on staff as well. Um, we have been in the agricultural processing world for, oh gosh, I don't know, probably 18 years now. Um, I've been all the, all over the world setting up equipment to do uh, processed food, seed, recycled materials, minerals, um, done separations and things like that. So that's what got us into hemp was was the need that people had to really bring industrial processing into it. As, as CBD really grew, there weren't, there weren't really big mechanized processes to handle uh, hemp materials. And as you know, hemp's sticky and the fiber's tough. It's just hard to deal with. So we brought our industrial expertise to bear on it and our, and our ag background and created some really big uh, processing solutions, 10,000 pounds an hour, big drying solutions, different things like that. And so that's that's how we got our foothold in hemp. And, and we've uh, spent the last two years doing R&D on decortication and everything that it takes to get good herd and good fiber. So that's where we stand today. 
Okay, this just brought up a ton of questions, but before I dive in, because <laughs> I've got lots I want to talk about. Bill? Yeah, Mandy. So I, I met uh, Shane and the team back in 2018. We were one of the first clients as a large extraction company in Colorado. Uh, and we had just grown uh, 365 acres up from 116. And we had a challenge, and that was to process all of that flour, uh, get it clean, get it milled right um, for the you know efficiencies of extraction back in 2018. And that's where we met uh, Hemp Processing Partners and Shane, and they just kept problem solving from that day. But my background is I'm I'm background is uh, is international business. Uh, worked for a company that supplied products into Costco domestically and internationally uh, for 16 years. And I was always tasked with finding the new new product that was going to go into the member experience into Costco. And back in 2016, I jumped on a call, met a scientist about CBD, uh, flew to Colorado and started learning. Uh, my wife is a nurse. I started sharing uh, low doses of CBD to some patients, started seeing some dramatic results uh, organically without uh, pharmaceuticals. And I got the bug and I literally ended my career in 2016, moved to Colorado and started a career in in the hemp industry, first in floral. And then we uh, then we've just like Shane has said, we've just been expanding ever since. Awesome. Very exciting. OK, so I want to talk a little bit about your team, right, and the depth of the team. And what excites me is the experience outside of the industry. We get often talk, you know, talking to our own industry and our own echo chamber. And so you guys talk a little bit about, Shane, specifically the, the ag side, right, and the scale of ag and where the hemp industry is compared to where it's going. Well, hemp is is probably following the same track that a lot of other crops followed 100 years ago right um right. we're just we're just um behind from a, a starting point but we have the benefit of all the mechanization that's happened in in the ag world to, to catch us up really quick so outside of of hemp we've been involved in processing large volumes things that are measured in in, in tons per hour of flow and our, our expertise has always been centered around material handling and separation. The hemp plant is, is, a, is an extremely useful plant once it's broken into, the, into its constituent parts, right? And that's the tough thing to do. But that's what we've centered around is, is taking an agricultural product, separating chaff, separating dust, separating sticks, separating by density. Sometimes you're taking the same kind of material and you're separating it by density to grade it. Mm -hmm. um, we're using uh, a lot of pneumatic methods to handle material, to de-dust material, to separate material. So outside of, outside of hemp, we have some really good manufacturers around the world that have, that have been working on these things for decades. And so what we have to do is, is reach out into that industrial world and pull out the pieces that fit for that specific operation in hemp. People a lot of times want to buy, and this has been from the beginning, they want to buy the hemp machine. You don't buy the hemp machine. You, you might buy a system of machines that gets, gets what you want. But the thing about hemp, it's so super diverse and, and good for so many different things that the system today won't be the system tomorrow. So we might develop a system today that makes just outstanding animal bedding and great insulation. But we know that plastics are right around the corner. We know that oil absorbents are, are going to be super useful. We know textiles are, are going to grow, as, as we uh, heard in Montana. You know, there's, there's a great pent-up demand for hemp 
to, to supply the textile industry. So as engineers, we get excited because we know there's going to be, an, we, it's not just solve a problem today and then just sell that solution. We know we're going to get to work on this for years and years and years and come up with new cool things to do with hemp and new cool ways to make that fraction to go into the, into somebody else's manufacturing process. So we're going to see this follow the track of, of a lot of other ag commodities. And we have good connections in that world and, and, um, we'll pull all those resources we can as, as things come up. Yeah, I had a really good, somebody gave some statistics the other day at one of the conferences about the size of the industry and that it's smaller than spinach. You know, hemp industry right now is a very small industry compared to what its potential is, right? What I'm curious about, you know, when we're seeing so few acres planted across the U.S., even in Canada, you know, what's a time frame, Bill, on you know, scale of this industry and, and what are we expecting as you guys are building equipment and you're really handling or looking at demand or need to fill the supply into consumer demand. Yeah. What are we looking at? Well, gee, I mean, you know, with inflation, it's no longer a $64,000 question. It's probably a, a $3 billion question. Uh, I don't know that anybody has the answer to timeline. I'm a historian, I'm a macroeconomics by trade. So I look at the history of the steel industry. I look at the petroleum industry. Uh, Shane just referenced, you know, an agricultural industry called the ethanol industry. So if we look at the history of ethanol, we look at the history of some of these industries, we can try to, to put into pro forma some timelines, but, but we're, we're in a very interesting industry, right? Because this plant was first demonized for a hundred years, but yet it's been used since the Bible. So it has all these uses and it could be very disruptive in some very stable, large industries that are going to be, you know, not so easy to want to make that transition until they're ready to make that transition. I come from very large industry. So I'm used to when you're challenging a when you're the new guy on the block, which hemp's been around forever. But because of our timeline, we are the new crop on the block we're challenging some very large industries. And so we have to be creative on how we integrate and grow and not, and not, uh, you know, and, and get along and quite frankly, and yet, and yet, and yet be bold and, and, and pursuant to our, to what we know is to be true. Right. So to answer your question, as I tell everybody's listen, if you build it, they will buy it. Meaning if you build large scale decortication, two things are going to happen. One, we have plenty of offtakes domestically and internationally. That's my background. I'm talking more around the world probably than I am domestically in the United States right now. That's yeah. the first thing. The second thing is I'm a huge advocate of the farmer. People that know me in the industry know that usually my boots have been on the ground in many, many hemp farms across yeah. America and outside of America. And, and so the farmer has to feel confident that if he does grow this fiber grain crop in 2023, A, it's gonna get processed and B, it's gonna get bought. And I think it starts with, you gotta build scaled processing to show the farmer and to show the markets that we're serious. Okay, yeah, so I believe, believe that too. I think the processing has to come first. Um, you know, we've all talked about chicken or egg with him, but- Yep, you took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> you know, we need, we need a couple of bold movers, people that will put the processing in place people that will actually pay farmers for a crop and create uh, bales or bags of product, right? Once, if you want to go to Levi's, you can't go to them with three bales of hemp and say, hey, we're going to scale up pretty fast. You want to you want to create a line of clothing around this? They want to see a warehouse full of bales and then they might talk about it, right? So there are a lot of companies in that situation. 
So this industry is looking for a few bold people that not only have the drive and the desire, but the money, right? Mm -hmm. In hemp, the, the magic word is funding. That's the topic of every conversation sooner or later it comes down to funding. And so Bill and I are always on the hunt for that, for that mentality that says I'm bold enough to be both the chicken and the egg. Yeah, it's that getting out in front, this innovative piece, right? Where we've really got to, to be able to play with it. Okay, so this is really why I brought up scale, right? Is what are we looking at for that? What does that look like for that ideal size, you know, to scale into the industry? I, I think that, and, and this number has been thrown around with a lot of different equipment manufacturers. It's really not captive to us, but the, you know, 10,000 pounds an hour, right? When you're processing at a scale of about 10,000 pounds an hour, you're a real industry. You can run that three shifts a day and, and move a lot of material through there. So I, I think that that's a good number to throw around for a real industrial size scale. And if you have a facility that will process 10,000 pounds an hour, that facility is going to, depending on how many shifts you run, it's going to be a 5,000 to 15,000 acre facility. That's not a lot of farm acres, right? We, I live in, in Weld County, Colorado, which is the most productive ag county west of the Mississippi. We're a big county. If you put 50,000 acres of hemp in here, you really wouldn't displace much other crop. I mean, it, 50,000 acres in the scale of American farming is tiny. So we need to be thinking, I believe, in 50,000 acre chunks. Um, I, I know the, the figure's been thrown out that we need over 500 decorticating facilities that'll do 10,000 pounds an hour to satisfy the need. In my personal opinion, to get to what's critical mass to make our industry move, there need to be a minimum of 10 facilities at that scale before real industries take us really seriously. I think that this is, this was eye-opening to me when we were in Montana, right? That facility processes or can process 20,000 acres. That's small agriculture. That's not yes. very big. And Which so which makes it easy to get farmers, right? Because you're not asking everybody to convert every acre. You just put it in your rotation and we'll have enough acres. But it's become, it's been very difficult, right? It's this chicken and egg, right? And like you said, having someone that's bold, we can't hardly go out to farmers and say, get out there and grow if we don't have proven offtake or proven stable processing, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that those two things come hand in hand where you guys have really you know, found this lane and this niche in this industry to provide a service that is, know it's needed we need we need as an industry to align with these existing organizations or practices you know Montana was great because it was collaborative right and and yes. bill and i've talked about this at length that when when you get together and and let's say you have five people that want to get in the hemp industry from a processing standpoint at this stage of our industry those five are not competitors it's like calling five corn farmers in four different states competitors. They're not. They're not. They can't, neither one of them can move the market around, right? We know that the first five are going to sell all they can make practically overnight, right? So what we want to do is get people to look at each other and say, you know what? We need each other. We, we need to compete and be healthy, right? Competition is healthy. But at the same time, we don't need to knock each other out. We need to build each other up. When we went to IND and they opened their doors and they brought people in, you could tell they really get it. They understand, they've been in this long enough to know that when they go to sell material, it just sells out almost instantly. And so they and don't to get a big contract. They have to be, they have to work together. That's right. That's what it takes. And everyone does. Yeah. So we're engineers. We like equipment. There are a few pieces that we design and have contract manufactured that are captive to us, but really um, we're, we're always after the best solution. So we pick 
uh, an air system from one manufacturer. We pick a decorticator from another manufacturer. We do conveying from somebody else. We just pick the best pieces. And so as we go out, we've been invited in to help a lot of people with, uh, with their, their material handling and their separation processes. Um, it doesn't matter to us whose equipment you're using. We're glad to come in and help try and learn something, try to share something. And, and really get everybody going at the same time. We don't want to elbow anybody out and say only one technology works. For the other, another point is hemp is so diverse. We believe you should have facilities with different basic decortication because there's a lot of different ways to decorticate and they generate different products. There's a place for all of those. We don't need to. We don't need to shove the industry all in one direction. I what you just said is needs to be said again that each machine is producing different, you know, end product. And we saw that in the different facilities we've been to. And I know you guys have seen it way more than I have that, you know, what is that, what is the market calling for? And this kind of leads into my next question, Bill, and that I'm curious from you, right? You guys are building equipment to meet the demand of these end markets because you've got a good handle on what's being pulled. Can you kind of talk about where what's driving our market now and what may be driving our market in the next two, three, four, five years? Yeah, well, well, market uh, offtake and what I would say diversity currently is at what I would call a desktop volume size. And and so there are manufacturers that are building at a at a proof of concept size, slightly larger than a proof of concept, even take Patagonia they're not going full scale into what their cost of goods are. That's my background is COGS. And if we're gonna penetrate the animal bedding industry, for example, take something really simple. If I go to my tractor supply and I buy a a bed of, it's piney wood chips, a bag of piney wood chips, takes six years to grow that pine tree, takes us 90 to 110 days to grow our hemp plant, right? So what is the obvious better? Six times more absorbable versus non much more antimicrobial, has a much better leave off scent, et cetera. So there's no doubt that it's a better material than piney wood. However, I can't make right now, I can't hit the number for tractor supply buyers to buy it at the price they're buying piney wood chips for their standard customer that's coming in to buy two bags a week, right? So we have to be scaled enough so that we can hit the price point that that will be able to penetrate markets um, in such a way where I can show premium, but I can't show I'm better and 2X or 3X price. That doesn't work in competitive industries. The auto industry is not going to accept that. The textile industry is not going to accept that. Even the animal bedding industry is not going to accept that. So, you know, that that's our thing is that to Shane's point, we must get scaled so that we can bring a price point of a quality product or a superior product but not put that price on the consumer because they just won't make that decision to switch. But I think that that's that paradigm shift we've got to start to see is the effect of buying some of these other materials like plastic water bottles or plastic you know, disposable utensils compared to a better product. Okay, understanding though that there's a small margin that we can be, we can be more expensive a little bit, but not Correct. two and a half times, two times, Correct. right? So Correct. what... What is time frame, right, to bridge this gap? Or what are you what are you expecting there as you guys are really working with the processor, which really is that you know beginning piece of the supply chain because they're going to really have a lot of management. And what we heard a lot of, you know, when we were in Montana is as a processor, you're pretty much that supply chain. 
you have your farmers lined out. You've got, you know, your seed, your seeds under your control right now. It's pretty much vertically integrated right there. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, where, how do we bridge that gap or what's, what's equipment and size of equipment? Well, also, yeah, go ahead, Shane. And then let me jump in. Well, well I was going to say um, a lot of people want to get in at a, at an affordable price point and, that will get a lot more people participating in the industry, but to really get to the critical mass to make other industries or somebody like tractor supply with 2,500 stores, take you seriously. You've got to have several 10,000 pound an hour guys. Um, The smaller ones will, will foster industry growth, but to take that leap to make us as an industry legitimate in the eyes of big companies that, that are going to take the products, we need five or six big processors in the next year. Now, if you would ask me this question, because we've had these discussions in, within our industry for, for a couple of years now, in 2021, hey, what's the time frame? I would have said by 2023, we will really be rocking. But I would back that off right now. I don't think we're going to get there until 2025 or 2026 because we've had so many people explore doing it and, and then end up with funding problems because their bro- they know their their funding guy's brother-in-law lost a million bucks on CBD and so and so invested 25 million dollars in an extraction facility and now it's sitting idle and that CBD stigma is hanging over the financial side of this thing right oh, it's so bad it, it is absolutely not related to the products we're doing because the great thing about the industrial side we have no regulatory headwinds except maybe building codes with hempcrete but Nobody's outlawed using it for clothing. Nobody's outlawed using it for pet bedding. So, so the regulatory headwinds are low, but the financial stigma is hanging there. And I, I, I'm, I'm not trying to be pessimistic, but I think realistically, we've got two or three more years of fighting that battle until two or three people jump in and somebody like Warren Buffett says, yeah, it's okay to invest in him, I guess. Yeah. Well, well and I think that it is going to take someone or some big move that is made um, that people respect and follow to be able to almost change perspective on the consumer side. But Bill, your feedback, yeah. and then I want to dump into the type well, of our back, our background with 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 industry is you ha- typically are going to have a first mover and then fast followers. What Shane is saying is we need a couple of first movers that show the fast followers the roadmap that they could actually take over the first movers, right? It's not always the first movers that are the biggest winners. There's plenty of examples of that in industry, right? But until there is a first mover, you know, Shane mentioned IND Hemp. I think they're doing a tremendous job and they they could be the first mover. And Ken Elliott himself has said, look, we don't have the answers to all. We're trying to lift up the entire industry. So there needs to be a couple of first movers to allow what I believe the fast followers are the multinationals that are currently in research and development. I'm talking about the multinational large conglomerates. They're currently doing R&D, but they, and as actuaries, do not move until they have barely a speed bump roadmap. And so, and so as Shane says, we just have to get incrementally better next year. Yes. And then, you know, and then build on that momentum. Yes. And I think we will. I think we will. And let me just finally say this. Um, on this topic. The great benefit that we have about industrial hemp is one, the environmental social governance and the climate change conversation that is ubiquitous, not only here in the United States, but it's around the world. And you have, you know, the the climate change meeting coming up in Carmel, in, in Sharm el Sheikh, Egypt in November. 
there is going to be a meeting of, of nations talking about climate change, smart commodities, alternative carbon sequestration. How can we greenify? How can we help with the climate? And so all that conversation, as we all know in the hemp industry, we are one of the prime shiny crops to fill a lot of those, check a lot of those boxes. And I think the more that we get involved in those conversations will help us grow our manufacturing industries, right? Because if I got carbon credit uh, takes that I could pay a farmer incrementally higher for carbon credits because Nestle's buying the carbon credits, well, now I get to take the crop and put it into textiles. I get to take the crop and put it into biochar or hempcrete. You see what I'm saying? Well, I, yeah, because and I still think the carbon credit thing becomes a interesting topic, right? Who gets that carbon credit? The farmer or the manufacturer? And where is it distributed along that process? And I think that it becomes also a little bit intimidating for farmers. So I think that until it's figured out, I think that there's major opportunity, but still it's still a topic that, you know, makes but it is, it's exciting to know that it could be that subsidy that hemp needs in order to compete with these other crops initially. Well, yeah. I, I, I think right. from a competition standpoint too, it's gonna to be interesting to see how well we as an industry can market the, the uh, environmental benefits of hemp as well as the performance benefits. So if you sure. displace a product, we've got horses. So we go through a lot of, we, you know, I, I don't know how many bales of wood shavings I bought in the last 25 years, but it's a lot. So we switched and started using hemp, obviously. And um, the only problem is it's a little hard to get, but it lasts probably three to four times longer with, I don't know, quadruple the odor absorption. The, yeah. the difference is, is substantial. So now that we're users of it, if you, if you said, you know what, we're going to have to up the price on that. You're buying that bag of shavings from Tractor Supply for, for eight bucks a bale, this stuff's going to be 20. We'd say, okay, good. It's still cheaper than shavings. Sure. We know that now because we've used it, right? Yeah. We wouldn't have known that from day one. If it was 20 bucks and shavings were eight, we'd have probably bought shavings. Um, but we, we know that now. So our industry will, I think, be able to incrementally get a better margin on products right. once people have used it because you can't get us off of it now. Now I'm willing to pay to stay in the game, right? Sure. And I think we're oil absorption for anybody who's played around with hemp. If you've got hemp to play with and soaked up oil with it, it just, it blows your mind. Nothing soaks up oil. Like I, right. I I'm, I'm a car guy too, right? So I spill oil on the floor and all that kind of stuff. And, and so that's one of the first things we did was start playing around with absorption tests. So we've got data on absorption times and, and, and made it fairly scientific. And if you offer me the choice, I'm obviously willing to pay more now. Yeah. But yeah. when well, we get to the scale, it gets us in cheap enough to get the guy to try it. This is a good point. Um, Cortland said something earlier, avoid competition and heavy regulations, whereby regulatory authorities can prevent entry to lobbyists, right? As we scale this, you know, we understand the benefits being in the industry and talking about it, but who are we talking to and where are we entering to gain the traction um, to avoid this? And I always say all the time, like, it was banned for a reason. These big industries that we're now butting up could be viewed as butting up against. Like this is where I want to be careful. I think that this is an opportunity to collaborate or to provide them, like you well, said, the carbon credit that benefits them. Correct. We've had some conversation with with oil guys. Yeah, they they they, they have a very tough battle to fight to have, to get a good reputation. Right, if you're an oil company, 
getting a good reputation is almost impossible, right? Yeah. So they want to use the most environmentally friendly thing they can do in any part of the process. So if you say we can help you clean up drilling sites, uh, clean up uh, drilling mud and all that kind of stuff with hemp, which is extremely environmentally friendly. Now you've got what's, what's historically been a polluting industry with a bad reputation dragging you along to make them look better. So that's one way we're not displacing oil, right? but we, we are getting um, help in, in moving the product because we can make their process better. And I, I think you're going to see the same thing with some plastics guys. You, they're not going to disrupt big oil in any, in any uh, significant way with hemp for a very long time. Right. But if right. you're a plastics guy and you can blend in 30% hemp or 50% hemp and really improve your marketability I don't think you're going to have to worry about fighting with traditional plastics guys. You're going to make traditional plastics guys your friend. Well, and I think that that's just it, right? Also, these big industries that you know are producing that could be potential competitors, right, are also need the de the demand from the consumer side is so much more focused on sustainability, and they're aware of it. Like like you said, Bill. I mean, it just goes back to this full circle of value. Well, I, I think to Cortland's point about lobbyists, you know, that that's a real, you know, I was in the nutrition supplementation business for 30 years. That's how I found CBD as a supplement. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm very aware of large lobbyists that that could take out a, a, a new good nutrition or skincare product because of a particular ingredient that's competing with with their major brand. So by the same token, having having hemp fill white spaces without threatening lobbyists is I think the way that we that we continue to go about this right so like like Shane says make them their friend oil yes. absorbent is a classic example the oil industry is going to have spiels and I'm not talking about Jiffy Lube I'm talking about large the oil industry but I could yeah. be talking about Jiffy Lube I could be talking about Midas I could be talking about every oil change place in America and using hemp as an absorbent versus what they're currently using. Um, so, so again, I think filling white spaces without disrupting what the lobbyists are currently doing and gently moving into certain industries and showing unique differences um, will help us grow. Then once we grow, like we said, you know, someone else just commented, you know, the, the second mouse gets the cheese. Uh, you know, fast followers are coming. Once we are the first movers, yeah, there he is, you know, Bill, he, you know, the second mouse gets the cheese. And, and so the fast followers are coming. I'm well welcoming the fast followers. We just want to get our foundation, our goal. Our goal was to grow, uh, what was it, in the XPRIZE contest, Shane? 112, so 112 million acres around the world, which is a fraction of the farmland. And yet it sounds like a big number. But if we all take a bite out of it globally, we can accomplish it. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's just it. So I want to talk a little bit about some of the opportunities that you're seeing on a global scale. Um, you know, even, even R and D that's possibly coming up. Can you guys talk a little bit about that? And then I want to talk more specific about your equipment and the processing, um, you know, how it's unique and yeah, some of the systems. Shane, I don't know if you have any off the top. No, Bill, I'll let you, you've been, you've been I, I have a couple, I have a couple. Yeah. yeah. There, there, there's a couple. So one, you know, uh, the textile industry, really is is into R&D and, and innovating, getting the right strain in the right quantity so that they can condition it and yet be competitive with their other fibers, right? 
Um, the, the bioplastic industry, we know from our conversations is very close. If they can get the micron size down to say 30 or 40 micron, which you know at Hemp Processing Partners, we can get it down to that size. Uh, you're now looking at extrusion opportunities and scale to make the, the one-off plastic uses, that plastic bottle you're currently drinking from, Mandy, be replaced by a bioplastic using hemp from a, a micron small enough to be able to put it in the extrusion molding. That's very close. That's where I'm talking about a multinational is doing the current R&D to totally retrofit the, the, the petroleum plastic bottle that you're currently drinking from and make it a bioplastic that is that's biodegradable, right? That's very, very close. Um, and then you look at biofuels, you know, the conversations we were recently having, biofuels is very, very close. But again, what do they need? They need scaled feedstock in order to make the economics work. And then we can start to get government subsidies on a biofuel. So these are just three simple examples, but they're very close, but they're working on desktop applications and we need scaled agriculture, scaled processing so that they can now work on their cost of goods to the end consumer. Yeah, at least reducing the cost for sure so that we can compete, right? Um, so is this what you were mentioning when you're talking about the international developments like Costa Rica and South Africa? Well, so in, in those regards, so in South Africa, a couple things. One, I'm going to go back to environmental social governance. The climate change uh, narrative is real in other parts of the world, and, and it's real to this sense. Decisions are being made, not conversations are continuing. There's a difference. In our country right now, we're just continuing to talk. In other countries, I'm seeing Costa Rica, for example, which we have partners down in Costa Rica. I was just in Costa Rica. They already made legislation approval. They have a new president. They're starting aggressively with import and export. In Brazil, I'll be on a Zoom next week in Brazil. Again, importation of hemp into, into Brazil, doing dramatic things with CBD to cover 20,000 stores, aggressively making these decisions, right? Um, you look at, uh, I, I look at Sharm el-Sheikh. If anybody wants to hashtag on LinkedIn, COP27, this is the, the, the climate change accord that's been going on for 27 years. One of the largest conversations that they are having is making decisions to greenify their deserts, to diversify their economies using sustainable materials. And hemp is being recognized as a sustainable material to go forward. Let's talk about retrofitting the tobacco industry, which we know has been on decline for many years. As a former smoker, I've not smoked now for 30 years. It's a declining industry, right? It's a declining industry. What is a great diversification in other countries that used to grow a lot of tobacco, which they still do? They're diversifying with hemp, both floral, fiber, and grain for animal feed. So the, and, and my point is this, I love my country, but we need to stop talking. We need to start doing. Yes, I think Daryl is on your team. <laughs> it's the same thing. And it really is, it's humbling being in my situation and bringing so many international people together and watching international money come into the US or take the opportunities and the technology to their country and are implementing them and moving forward with them. Mm -hmm. And so it is, it's, we've got to start doing it. And like you said, who, who is, you know, here's the call out, who is going to be the, that next group next to IND or next to Ken that 
you know, is going to stand and say, let's scale together. And, and I put this out all the time. The reason we did this is to build collaboration and start helping build connections and drive conversation. But we've got to now take it to this next level. And let me take a shameless opportunity. Our community really appreciates what you've done in Global Hemp Association. We, we needed a voice and a platform. And in a time of need, you filled that. So we thank greatly you. appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So this is obviously my passion. My background is doing exactly this and bringing people together. I thrive on watching people connect. <laughs> so it's weird, uh, but I love it. So if anybody needs help, let's, let's talk real quick or give a plug. How do people reach out to you? They want to you know, talk about processing, the engineering, getting involved. How do people well, reach out? I'll tell you, I am I am a little hard to get a hold of. I spend a lot of time out in the field. I'm really a hands-on engineer, and, um, and and in fact, today when we talked about this originally, I was supposed to be on site and I was going to do this via just my phone, um, and the the building wasn't ready, so I got a day of reprieve, and I'm here. All that being Thank said, you. Bill Bill at HempProcessingPartners.com. He is he is a great first contact. Uh, Bill is phenomenal at, at following up with people and making the rest of us pay attention to what needs paid attention to. So um, if people are, will, uh, I, I'm obviously open to being contacted, but I'm not really great at getting back to people. So I, I think Bill's a, a great first intro. We have a website that's, that's undergoing some revamping right now. Um, we just hired a new marketing lady and um, she's she's doing some good things. So keep it on our website. We'll we'll continue to put things on there. Yeah, and also LinkedIn, LinkedIn, Mandy, which I know our community, the the, the industrial hemp community, is primarily on LinkedIn around the world. Um, our, our LinkedIn site, Hemp Processing Partners, and then of course at William Brill, I'm always available, and I talk to a lot of people around the world via LinkedIn. Um, but we just want to. The one thing I want to say at this juncture here is that we're not a a system. A lot of times I'll get a call or an email for a quote. Just give me your off the shelf. We don't have an off the shelf. I need to know what your acreage is. I need to know what your offtake is. I need to know what industries that you are really leaning into so that we can customize a quote that's going to provide you the best chance of getting an ROI out of the gate and, and knowing that you're going to grow. And so everything that we build is so that we can expand the, 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 the output. Right. And so the one thing I would say to you is you're not going to get an off the shelf. I don't have a off the shelf price. We have a customized quoting process and we really need to understand what your goals and objectives are. More and more I hear, you know, equipment and a growth of the industry will be specific to end product. Right. What, what are Correct. you manufacturing? What is our goal? And like you just said, where are we penetrating the industry? Where are our competitors? What, what's happening around us? Who are manufacturers that we'll be feeding into? So I want to talk a little bit about your process. Like what makes what makes it unique? You know, what makes besides your skill, the talent, the offtake agreements and background, but talk to me about the equipment itself and maybe the processing of the hemp. So so to wave the American flag here a little bit, I'm I'm really proud that that almost everything we use is made in America. We do have some some European equipment um, on seed cleaning and things, but we we're primarily American made. And we, we had an international customer who was just about to buy some European equipment. And one of the partners said, hey, I'm going to look around a little bit. I need to check on the Americans and see what they're doing. He, he came across us and we, we formed a fast friendship. We've been working with them for a couple of years doing a, a very big project in the Southern Hemisphere. 
And, and he was just convinced that, that we probably, the Americans probably had a solution. That's a really cool reputation to have as a country. Hey, those guys yeah. probably figured it out. And I think that we're price, uh, Bill and I have, have thrown around a lot of different prices for a lot of different systems. And I think we're always less than half of a European a similar competition. So the core decortication technology we use um, is a, it's a piece of equipment that, that's been used in a lot in a lot of different applications. It, it was almost an accident that we figured out it works for hemp. Um, and it uses a, a, a combination of pressure and impact. And so it allows us to decorticate really well without any redding. And, and if I was going to say there's something that HPP does that's really unique and uh, Mandy, you, it, it, at the Southern Hemp Expo, you got to meet Kyle, the, the mm -hmm. patent holder on that mm -hmm. on that mill. He's pretty passionate about it. It does all kinds of cool things, and, and he uses it in a lot of places. But that decortication process allows us to, gener to, to be adjusted to generate some different fiber links. It allows us to generate this beautiful, almost white herd because it doesn't ret. Mm -hmm. It never turns brown. It never turns gray. So our fiber is very pretty. The herd is soft. Uh, makes extremely good animal bedding and, and uh, the pores are opened up. So it, it absorbs really, really well because that impact process really opens up the pores. So when you say soft, I want to clarify because somebody, I said that word the other day and they're like, wait, what? That's not good. And I said, when I say soft, it's not, it doesn't have those sharp broken edges like wood chips for slivers. So, for animals. So here's the example, Mandy, my wife dumps it out for the first time to use for her horses. And this was not stuff that, that had gone through our machine, but but a, a partner of ours that we worked with and we did a bunch of engineering for him. And so he sent some hemp home with me. She dumps it out. She gets up and, and goes out to feed the next morning and her horse is standing there. He's got little hemp pieces poking out of him where he laid down it and it just poked and stuck out of him. So she's plucking the hemp out of him. She's like, well, this stuff absorbs really well, but I don't think I really like it sticking him like that. No. Well, ours doesn't do that. You can, I mean, you can grab it with your hand and squeeze it and it doesn't hurt your hand. That's a fact that that is a function of how it was decorticated. It's not crimped and broken out of the stock mm -hmm. as has been done for thousands of years. Um, it, it uses a process they couldn't do thousands of years ago because they didn't build a uh, thousand RPM, uh, 30,000 pound mills. And so that's what it does. It softens, it rounds the edges, but the softness, there's something else to that. It's, it's almost puffed up a little bit compared to that. It's not shiny. So there's no barrier to, to uh, moisture being absorbed. So um, I'm, I'm kind of beating our drum here, but I do think it's really cool as an engineer. It's exciting to see it do that kind of process. And yeah. we haven't done any fiber, really good fiber trials to know if it's good for textiles. Uh, that's something we need to look at. Herd's been kind of the low hanging fruit. But when you look at our fiber, Bill, wouldn't you agree that that fiber is very fine and is probably pretty close to what we need to go into a textile process. Well, yeah, and and for, you know, insulation, it's it and the thing is is that our air handling and our cleaning of the fiber really has has stood out to to customers that are comparing sample over sample, right? Is the cleanliness of the fiber and the complete separation of it. And then there was one other subject and that is and that is for the seed and for oil and for hemp parts and hemp holes. That's a whole other subject that we have a, a vast experience in. In, in handling of, of the hemp seed, but even before hemp, other seeds. And so that's where we have an expertise. Right. Shane, did you have something else you wanted to add too? Well, I was just going to say that herd cleanliness is a big deal. When it comes to animal bedding, you don't want them, you know, they lay down and they breathe it. You don't want little fine fiber and you don't want dust in it. And what we do, because we adopted some of the same 
uh, processes that we were using to clean uh, flour for extraction. We were doing a lot of air separation and air handling, and we took some of that technology and added another step to it and have gotten herd that has virtually no dust and no fine fiber in it. So whether you're making hempcrete or you're making animal bedding, they both want that really clean material. And ours yeah. is phenomenally clean. It, it, it really is. I've never sent a sample to somebody that I didn't get the response back that, hey, this is the cleanest we've ever gotten. Yeah. So we think that that's something to really, uh, something to really tout. Okay, so I, I want to talk to you. You mentioned textile grade fiber, right? Textiles is such a broad term. And there's a big difference, and just like what you said, in what we're processing. You know, when we see Montana's fiber quality or fiber um, crop that they were getting ready to harvest with little tiny stalks, and they were almost hollow with all fiber, um, compared to these bigger stalks that we may be processing looking for uh, a herd production, more herd, right? Um, the textile grade fiber, all the fiber potentially will be used, right? It's a matter of what market is it going into? Is it these non-insulation or these insulative mats or is it the, you know, um, erosion mats versus a high-end textile or a garment itself? And so I think the broad broad term textiles is pretty challenging because fiber well, is fiber. <laughs> if I could jump in there. So again, yeah. my, my background is working with the customer yeah. to work on the spec that they need. For example, yes. when you mention textiles and if people think of carpet, they have one thought. If they think of fashion and they think of bare fiber and Guy Carpenter over in you know, the East right. Coast, you know, he's going to tell you something very, very different. And I think it's, it's working with, that's what we do is we work with the customer to really nail his specification. And then we're going to source different varieties. That's why what you did with your trials is so important. What yeah. New West Genetics is doing is so important. What, what we're currently doing to find the right varieties that are processed to meet the end customer specification, whether it's fashion or it's carpet, whether it's non-wovens or it's, or it's insulation, right? And so I think that's really where we started. And that's why I say it's really a consultative process. And yeah. we're really talking about the solution you're looking for. And then let us as engineers go work on the solution. Yeah. Well, I really think that that's, again, kind of back to what we said. Uh oh, I think you froze for a second. You good? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm making sure I didn't lose anybody. Um, I think that goes back to what we said in the beginning, right? Equipment is going to be man manufactured and, and scaled to meet end product specs. Can you talk a little bit about some of the challenges you hear from, you know, equipment users, so processors, as well as consumers to the difficulty of processing hemp or the difficulty of finding or meeting the spec that they're at. So there are a couple of facets to that. Um, as, uh, as we've talked about a lot, dust is an issue in processing. So yeah. From a difficulty standpoint, dust can be really, fugitive dust can be relatively hard to, to handle. And so when we design a process, we design it so that we don't have fugitive dust, but we also believe there's another reason be, it, it all has value, right? So we believe all that dust that's generated has a value and can be put into a process. So I think the challenge is not losing too much of your product as you process to dust. A lot of, a, a lot of material can fly away in the wind. Um, Specs are, are tough. Uh, we had a comment there asking about if we 
cooperate with ASTM on standards. And yes, we do want to help with standards anytime we can. There's a, another group that we're working with that, that has some international standards for a lot of different products and they want hemp standards. So we're working to, to help them create that. But those don't exist. Oftentimes when somebody asks you if you have herd or fiber for sale, you say, what spec do you need? And they say, well, what do you mean? Yeah, uh, we don't know yet. We're just trying to figure it out. We're still in R&D. Right, exactly. And so it's hard. We can, you can say you want to hit a spec. So the spec, let's say the spec is half inch long herd. Can you get half inch long herd? Yes, we can. Well, really what I wanted is quarter inch. You don't meet that. Well, if you want quarter, we'll give you a quarter inch. Does it need to have a certain amount of fiber uh, content? Does it need to be a certain density? You know, there are a lot of things that we as processors can tweak to get you there. Um, we can't change everything, obviously, but, but we, there are a lot of things we can tweak, but the end user is gonna have to help tell us what the spec is. Yeah. And, and if they don't know, and if they don't know the specific consistency of the, of the, the component of the plant, then tell me what product you're trying to make. Right. Are you making T-shirts? Are you making high end shirts for Nordstrom? Sure. How soft does it need to feel? Tell me your end product, because a lot of times this conversation is where it falls on me. And I say, what spec do you need? And they go, I don't know. You tell me. And I said, well, my is, what's the goal? I had a lady from Switzerland about a month ago. She wants to be she wants to make she wants to re revamp toilet paper. She wants to make toilet paper out of hemp. I said, great. She and she started asking me, so how are you going to make my toilet paper? I said, I'm not going to make your toilet paper. I'm going to make you the material that's going to make your toilet paper. Who's your toilet paper manufacturer? Well, I don't know. I said, well, I would start with Georgia Pacific. Call on them. Call Georgia. Find out who who your your you know your your proof of concept manufacturer is and get as much spec information to us. Then we can start to give you the material they need to make your toilet paper. And the other thing about That's testing, so if you want if you want to meet an ASTM standard, the testing is very expensive. The U.S. Hip Builders Association has worked to get uh, some building code approval. They spent a ton of money on the tests, and the tests are very, very specific and very, very narrow. So you don't want to just willy-nilly run a bunch of testing until they tell you really what they're doing with it, because you might end up spending $100,000 doing a test for a product nobody needs or wants. Well, I think this goes back to, to the scale of the industry, right? We can't expect a Ford or a Toyota or a Levi to come in and run a sample that isn't sufficient and clean, right? The, the amount of time and money that it costs them to break down their line, rebuild their line into a new material is so much more than those tests, right? Than those ASTM tests. And I think that this even makes it more critical on collaboration so that we can meet volume and quality to meet those specs. And yeah. Um, it's going to get really important when we have, you know, they talked about a trade alliance at IND and, and when you yeah. get five or six manufacturers that say, you know what, this automotive contract is going to take 150,000 acres of hemp. None of us have that, but if we all pull together, we could combine material to, to go after the big three or Tesla or whoever we're talking about. And that is going to require all those different processing facilities to really generate a spec. Yeah. And that's when it's going to get super, super important uh, for, so it's going to get important so that that process or that spec can be transferred from one facility to another so that we can combine forces. Very true. You need to choose your entry, right? 
for their labs, maybe not assistant collaboration. I think that this is this is it too, right? Where is that chicken and egg, and where we really are starting to see organizations and companies lead by example to be that first step in. They see the need. And and really it's so much more than fiber also. Look at the food aspect from the grain on an international level. And what's happening with the water and flooding is, and now cotton, like a lot of our cotton supply with Pakistan being underwater is, it's gut-wrenching. And so we really, this is an opportunity that is so much bigger than the dollars and really the need for collaboration it has to happen. <laughs> Otherwise, we're all in trouble. Well, we're not we're not going to attract the larger scale applications until we all come together, bring innovation, dr keep costs down, drive up some profits to the farmer, right? Have some sustainability for the farmer and then drive costs down on the processing of the spec. That's our pathway, I believe. And then again, continually look for white space that doesn't disrupt large industries that that have hundreds or in multiple hundreds of years of industry, they're not going quietly. They'll change when they're ready to change and they're watching. But until then, we, we must figure out ways to fill white spaces that don't currently exist and that don't disrupt too quickly. In my or opinion. allow those industries to use hemp to be more sustainable, like with the oil cleanup, right? Using it, it Correct. then it, we're working side by side. We support each other. We are not competing necessarily. And I, I'm seeing that more and more and less of it being like, hey, we're going to take it all out. Um, but and I think and part of that is because of ESG and because of the carbon sequestration benefits of hemp and because it's a green friendly commodity. It's such a good conversation for those multinationals to dove into their to their structure, right? And that works for them. And so I say we need to champion more of that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, we're about out of time. I saw Bill said that the ASTM R value test for Hemcrete is $600. No one has done, uh oh, I lost that comment. No one has done that test yet. Um, that's interesting that it hasn't been done yet, but I would be curious too, when we talk about bringing hempcrete into standards and building those standard development, you know the difference in the test versus the actual standard. Um, I'm not sure what those differences are, but like you said, I've seen. Well, each know. regulatory body recognizes a certain, uh, certain testing standard. And so the International Code Council set, writes the International Building Code, the International Res yeah. Res Residential Code, the Energy Conservation Code that has to go into to buildings. And so you have to make sure that the test is is what's is exact is what's needed to meet a specific building code, and I think that they've done um, some good testing for our values that's gotten that accepted into the international building code. But there are more tests that will follow to allow that use to be broader within the code, and so I think that. Uh, textile manufacturers are going to have tensile strength requirements, diameter requirements, different things like that. Mm -hmm. um, each industry will have that. And hempcrete itself will probably evolve with one or two big players. Maybe people like Hempitecture are going to say our standard for, for hempcrete is a particle size that's this wide and this long uh, with this certain uh, dust, uh, maximum dust content and things like that. So sometimes they'll set it. And then if they set it and then people who make binders adopt that, 
Now you've got a binder guy and a user that say, this is the spec we want. And then that will kind of become a de facto industry spec as you go around it, if it's not a performance issue. So we're going to see specs come from a lot of different directions. Some of it's going to be consumer driven. Some of it's going to be manufacturer driven. Some of it will be uh, regulatory driven. You know, you just had something just popped into my head and I'm just aha momenting about this. You know, there's been a lot of conversation about what will happen with these companies as we're developing this industry and the byproduct of the fiber industry becomes herd. But really, when we're seeing what we saw is the low content of herd in that fiber that's being produced for a textile grade fiber or for a garment garment fiber. And so really, we we're seeing even separation in processing to meet you know, meet that spec completely from farm to process. That entire process is different, um, which follows the corn and soybean, you know, routes that, you know, equipment was manufactured to harvest a certain genetic, basically. Yes, <laughs> a certain crop, a certain crop. And 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 you're exactly right. And that's why to, to the earlier point, you may have three different lines in your facility, all processing different varieties for different offtakes for different industries, textile, hempcrete, and maybe a bioplastic, right? Three different. Um, and, and, and you're right, because the, the varietal that I, that I came from, you know, I mean, the varietal that's over my wall, you know, the stocks were as big as a football, right? With <laughs> lots of herd, with lots of herd. How right? do you harvest that though? You know, when you look at harvesting equipment on big scale, and that's-, 20, that's In 2018, in 2018, Mandy, it was a sharp machete. Yeah, literally. Like, how, how do you get out there and do that? And so it was a sharp machine. That's, that's awesome. Okay, well, I'd love to continue this conversation. I'd love to have you guys back on as this continues to grow. The industry is evolving like crazy, and you guys have your hands on the pulse of the manufacturing and you know, engineering and distribution side. And so I really am curious as this evolves what we see change over the next six months and a year, especially as grants are really being deployed on climate smart and carbon know where this really is going to impact the industry and trade. So I'd love to invite you back. Um, again, if anybody has questions, please don't hesitate to reach out to either Shane or Bill. I guess Bill is really the point of contact. We won't get Shane very often. So thanks, Shane, for joining us today. I, I feel lucky and glad that your other plans didn't work out as well or <laughs> on time. But thanks, thanks for having us, Mandy. It was our pleasure. We enjoyed it. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, anybody else, please um, look on our website. Just a reminder for our members, we are updating our website and our login for a member portal will be there in about a month, I'm expecting. Um, but you can get into our events on both Friends of Hemp and Global Hemp Association. And then I also want to remind you about our seed trials and variety trials. All of our members um, that have paid annually have access to our data that will be available in, I think it's April or May of next year. Um, and then all of our sponsors are getting access to data end of November, beginning of December this year. So it gives a lot of time to really figure out what genetics you're going to use or what genetics to dive into uh, further. And then also sponsors are having an opportunity. We're calling them in to give feedback about future uh, tests for next year or trials for next year. So I encourage you guys to get involved. And if you have any questions, reach out to me. I'd love to share, share more information. But in the meantime, Bill and Shane, thank you very, very much for everything you guys continue to do for the industry. You've come Thanks, very Mandy. highly recommended. So thank you Thanks, very much. Mandy. Absolutely. Appreciate for right. sure. Okay. Well, guys, until next time, we'll see you later. Cheers. Right. See ya. Thank you.